Good morning, good morning, good morning. How is everybody doing today? I am your host, Kay Edwards, and I'd like to welcome you to What Would Kay Say? I'm doing great, thank you for asking. I woke up this morning, clothed in my right mind. <laughs> you know, that's all that that's that old folks saying, right? They always used to say when you would be in church, I'm so glad the Lord woke me up this morning, clothed in my right mind. But you know what? It still rings true. I am blessed to be here on the air speaking to all of you and all of you that can hear the sound of my voice. You're just as blessed because you're here as well. But today we have a full show. Well, we usually have a full show, right? But today I hope that I have enough time to cover everything that I want to speak about, right? We have so much going on in our neighborhoods, so much going on in our city, so much going on just in the world, right? Much to discuss. But before I begin, I want to remind everyone that City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours. The tours are designed to give you a unique opportunity to learn the history of the New York City neighborhoods that you are currently running through. You can choose from 23 different tours of neighborhoods in Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, and the Bronx. For a list of neighborhoods and a full tour schedule, check out their website at www cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. Also, check out their tours every Saturday at 10 a.m. on instagram.com slash cityrunningtours. I'm going to wrap up this Women's History Month with a tribute to a phenomenal woman, Maya Angelou. She was born Marguerite Annie Johnson on April 4th in the year of 1928 to Vivian Baxter Johnson and Bailey Johnson. Maya is a name that she was given by her brother Bailey when they were youngsters, but due to the calamitous marriage between her mother and father, Maya and her brother were sent to live with her father's mother at the age of three. Now most would think that back in that time, 
they would have had a hard, hard life, right? But contrary to the lives of most African-Americans at that time, Maya's grandmother was doing quite well for herself during the Great Depression and World War II. Her grandmother owned a general store where she sold the basic commodities that were needed at the time. It has been said of her that she was a wise and honest woman, one who knew how to make a sound investment. So now when I read that and I thought about it, they always want to paint everyone's picture that was African-American in America as destitute. We are not a destitute people. And as I'm going through her story, I am going to be injecting little bits and pieces to dispel the myths that have been going on concerning African-American people, right? So now I also remember, because now when I think of the year, she was born in 1928. I can remember, my mother was born in 1929, and I can remember my mother telling me what she could remember about the depression. And she would tell us stories about how how um, people would be standing in bread lines and how the country was so poor during that time, right? But now when I, I think back to also when they said about Maya Angelou's grandmother during World War II, my mother was 12 when Pearl Harbor was attacked by the Japanese. And when 9-11 happened here and everyone was like, oh, we could remember where we were when 9-11 happened, my mother could remember what she was doing in the school when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. She said how they used to have the bomb drills and she had to stay in the hallways and they used to get on the ground. They used to have them get under their desk because they used to have, you know, they, they used to teach the children how to protect themselves in the event that their schools got bombed or whatever. So she remembers all that. She remembers where she was when JFK was shot. She remembers where she was when Martin Luther King was shot. There were so many things that my mother had recalled that she had experienced in her life. And the human mind is so strong and resilient. It is, it's a beautiful thing, right? It can remember so much, even when we think we can't remember it. And when you see some of us today, we couldn't stomach staying in our house for a year because of the pandemic. We haven't seen a fraction of the hard times that our elders have faced and overcome in this country. But getting back, back to Maya Angelou, as a young girl of eight years, Maya was a victim of rape. And like what most young girls do when something happens to them, they run and tell their big brothers, who, without hesitation, told other members of the family. The man was caught, brought to justice, but only served one day in jail. Upon his release, that same night, he was murdered and his killers were never found. Although most suspected that the killers were her uncles, they were the ones that delivered the sentence of death, taking matters into their own hands. This incident was so traumatic to Maya, she was distraught and she didn't speak for years following what happened because she believed that because she spoke about the incident, 
It was her words that killed the man. Maya Angelou was a poet, a memoirist, and civil rights activist, having published seven autobiographies, three books of essays, several books of poetries, plays, and movies spanning over 50 years of her life. She has been honored with numerous awards and over 50 honorary degrees, but she is best known for her seven book autobiographical series, which focused on her childhood through early adulthood. The most popular being, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, the one that brought her international acclaim. This book detailed how Maya thought that she was the reason why after she was raped as a young girl and her attacker was murdered. So now when I read that, not the part about her being about being quiet because she thought she had killed her attacker. But when I read the part about her writing seven books about her life from childhood to early adulthood, I chuckled to myself because if you guys can recall what I was talking about how I had started writing and I was writing years ago because I figured I needed to write my memoirs because I, there was going to be so much I needed to say. When I read that, I said, see, my idea wasn't far-fetched. Maya Angelou knew she had much to tell about her life. I have much to tell about my life. My book could be an encyclopedia like hers as well, right? Why not? So now getting back to her, enough about me. But the strange thing here is that you would think that with everything that she wrote, that that was her number one passion. Maya wasn't always a writer, nor was it that she longed to be one. As a young adult, she held various jobs, some being a fry cook, a nightclub performer, and even including about in the sex trade, working as a prostitute and a madam for lesbians, an exploit that she later described in her second autobiography, Gather Together in My Name. Now, in 1995, Maya Angelou did an interview, and this is what she said concerning her life. I wrote about my experiences because I thought too many people tell young folks, I never did anything. Who, me? Never I. I have no skeletons in my closet. In fact, I have no closets. They lie like that, and then young people find themselves in situations, and they think, damn, I must be a pretty bad guy. My mom and dad never did anything wrong. And then they can't, they can't forgive themselves or go on with their lives. So now, we as Christians know we all have a past, right? That's why they call it a testimony, because you have to be tested in order to be able to tell your testimony. So we know we all have a past. And Romans 3.23 states, for all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God, right? And I'm a strong believer of that. God will give you the opportunity when the time is right to tell your story. You have to be in a place of peace with yourself and with your life enough to be able to divulge that information. And not all the information has to be let out, but most of the time, whatever you've gone through in your life, you've gone through it to help somebody else through theirs. So I always say it's better to tell your story 
it's better for you to tell your story than to have somebody else tell your story. But when you tell it, tell it in your time. Thinking of that brings to mind another scripture, Romans 8 and 1. And as usual, I'm reading from the New King James Version. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, Maya, Maya would later become active in the civil rights movement, working with both Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. She also served as a correspondent in Egypt and Ghana during the decolonization of Africa. At the time of her death in 2014, Maya had left behind a son, a grandson, and two great-grandchildren. So I want to say to all you phenomenal women out there, you know, the ones that are doing the homeschooling, the ones that are taking care of your families, the ones that are taking care of your parents, the ones that are holding down that job, being that best friend, being that sister, being that aunt, being that cousin, being that grandmother, here's to you. We close Women's History Month with the writer saying these words to you. Many people wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. When I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. I walk into a room just as cool as you please, and to a man the fellows stand, or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm around me, a hive of honeybees. I say, it's the fire in my eyes, the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist, the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say, it's in the arch of my back the sun of my smile, the ride of my breasts, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palms of my hands, the need for my care, because I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, all you women and me. You are listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn, What Brooklyn Sounds Like. Yeah. Now that I got your attention, yeah. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Come on, hey, 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 hey
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. You are listening to What Would Kay Say? I am your host, Kay Edwards. Now we come to the part of the show that we call Op-Ed. And I want to start off Op-Ed this week with Big Pharma. Big Pharma placed a proposal with the government to increase prices of the vaccines. Uh, Big fat no, but we knew that this was going to come, right? They want to make more money off the billions that they're already making. Stop exploiting the pandemic, Big Pharma. Just stop. My next topic, the children at the border. What is going on with this? What is going on with the immigrants seeking asylum, sending their children here alone? The story behind this is that word got back to the border that the adults were being turned away But America is taking the children and housing them and feeding them and clothing them and schooling them. 
um, America. Now, people, I totally understand our wanting to help everyone in need. But where do we draw the line? How many children are we going to keep taking into the country without having a place to keep them? Some of the children are being sent because they have relatives here from what the smugglers say. Now, there's a group of smugglers that have been smuggling children across the border because they've already made arrangements with the with the relatives that are here in the country. They've already made the arrangements to bring the kids over. Now, I didn't say that the relatives that were here were legally here, but they're just relatives that are already here. So they do this little transaction. They go with the smugglers. They tell the smugglers, you can bring the kids over. We'll take them, even though their parents are still left across the border because they can't get in. But it's all too much. It's all too much. No matter how you look at it, it's all too much. But President Biden has promised that Kamala Harris will solve the issue. He appointed her in charge of handling this messy fiasco. All I can say to that is Godspeed, Kamala. God's speed. Now, this brings me to my next topic, the George Floyd trial. Now, we all know this week, well, for those of you who don't know, this week they picked the jury for the trial. Now, the officer that is accused pleaded guilty. <laughs> I wish. No, he didn't plead guilty. Pleaded not guilty. And they came up with eight white, four black, two mixed. So they have a jury of 12, two alternates. And I think they picked one for, they picked one for good measure. And that is if one of the other jury people get sick or something, they have that extra one to put in. But if the trial goes and everybody stays, I think after a week, that 15th person, they just get dropped. They don't use them anymore. But see, that's not the makeup that I wanted to see. And number one, his lawyers petitioned the court for a change of venue. Really now? Are you kidding me? Like, where are you going to go to moon? Because they feared that he would not receive a fair trial if tried in Minneapolis. I'm sorry, what are you looking for? A fair what? There isn't a place on the planet that is not aware of what happened on May 25th in the year of 2020. And I wanted to see the makeup to be different. To me, there's not enough color on that jury. I'm sorry, having four black and two mixed as the alternates, no, uh, how, two mixed as the alternates? And then four black and then eight white? No. To me, that's not that's not a fair balance. I don't like that balance. I want you to do the balance that you do when you have people on trial of color. I want the balance of that. You know what I'm saying? I want you to pull out that brick that you use when people of color are on trial to balance those scales that Justice has because she's blind. You know that extra heavy brick that says guilty on it? That's the brick I want you to use when you, you go and you try this case. I'm sorry if I sound like I'm tilting to one side, but enough is enough. And speaking of enough is enough, did any of you catch the episode of Queen Sugar that was on 
Tuesday night passed? Well, I'm not sure how many of you watch it, but it's a series that comes on OWN on Tuesday nights. And if you didn't watch this week's episode that passed, I want you to catch it. Even if you've never watched Queen Sugar ever, this one episode will give you, you know how they do the year in review, like at the end of the year and they show you everything that happened. They give you little snippets and bits and pieces about it. But what Ava DuVernay did for 2020 was phenomenal. She covered everything that took place in the lives of black people and what was happening in America last year during the pandemic, starting from the killing of George Floyd. It was a powerful episode. Powerful. My hat's off to Ava. And when that woman tells a story, you feel as though you are one of the characters. But what was so phenomenal about it was that Ava told the story through the eyes of the black men in the story, the characters, the black characters in the story, which was very moving. She told each one of them had their own view of what happened and how it affected them as black men. Then she showed it from the perspective of the women in the story, which they had a different view from the way the men saw it, but collectively as black people, you saw it as a whole. It was, it was really moving. And I think if any of you, like I said, you might not watch Queen Sugar, but I strongly suggest you watch that episode so that you can see clearly what went on in 2020 last year. And there was a line in there that one of the characters, Ralph Angel says to a, a white guy that was at the, uh, they were at a gas station and he was mouthing off to Ralph Angel talking about, oh, he got what he deserved and, you know, just going on and on and on and on. So Ralph Angel tells his wife, you know, just get in the car. We're going to leave. Don't pay any attention to him because he knows that his time is running out. And when I heard that statement, I was like, wow, it was really, it, it just really was effective the way she wrote the rest of the story. But anyway, it brings me to the next elephant that's in the room. I mean, this room is so crowded with elephants this week. I, I it's, it's a lot, but we're going to move on to it because it's something that has to be addressed. And that's the racism that is taking place in America against Asian Americans. What I have to say about this is not much of what I'm going to say, right? What I have to say about this is it's going to be all truth. And I know to some, the truth is going to offend and the truth is going to hurt. But the truth is the truth nonetheless. And now I'm going to read for you a story that was written this year in February by a Chinese journalist and she wrote it for MSNBC for their opinion column. And this is how she starts out. High profile blackface scandals typically produce public embarrassment, apologies, and promises of self-reflection. 
but not when the Chinese government is responsible. That's what we saw last week on the eve of the Lunar New Year, when the Chinese state broadcast broadcaster CCTV televised its annual live variety show, which draws hundreds of millions of viewers, and the shows featured dancers in blackface. The story goes on to talk about how Chinese actors dress up in blackface and do skits during the Lunar New Year. They dress up as monkeys and gorillas and sing songs and beat ethnic drums. When questioned why, they reply that they are paying homage to black people. Now, when I read that, I was like, really? Really? Okay. And now, last year, during the pandemic, and I'm sure all of you have heard this story, there's an African town, the largest African community in China. I think it's called Gangz, Gangz who? Gangzine? Something. I can't even pronounce it, but that's irrelevant. You could look up the, the name of it and pronounce it however you want to pronounce it, but Chinese, China has a large African community. They, during the pandemic, forcibly pushed Africans out of their living quarters, made them self-quarantine in designated hotels. Landlords were evicting them, forcing them to sleep on the street and to sleep in their own shops if they own businesses. They had to sleep in their own shops. Some restaurants, McDonald's was one of them because they had to put out an ad apologizing and other markets refused to serve them because they were saying that the black people were the ones spreading the virus. The Africans were the ones spreading the virus in China. Now I'm like, are you serious? But I know all of you right now are saying, oh, that's China. We're talking about what's happening here in America. So let's bring it home to what's happening here in America. In America. Let's do just that. And what is happening here in America? Chinese people are being attacked, which is wrong. No one should be attacked. I do not condone violence. They're being harassed but they're being harassed and attacked because of the propaganda that was put forth by this government before. But now they're looking to black people to stand in solidarity with them because what? Because we know what it's like to be harassed and attacked? Um, I, 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 don't, I don't understand. But... What I'm going to say, the only one that could help this situation, which is the only one that could help any situation when it comes to this, you all know my answer. It's God. But before I go there, before I go there about how God can change the situation around, I want to tell you what a Dr. Sue Varma said and she is a board certified psychiatrist. She said that when you are a victim of racism, 
for an extended period of time, it causes you to feel excluded, rejected. Now, mind you, this is from a study that she was talking about with Asian Americans because they haven't just started being attacked. Although we've been hearing a lot more about it within the last two weeks or so, but they were being attacked all last year as well and being targeted because of the the noise that was coming from the White House saying about it being a China virus. So they did this study and they came up with the conclusions that when you're a victim of racism for an extended period of time, you feel excluded, rejected. It causes trauma like stroke and heart attacks and it causes chronic stress. You have bouts of anxiety, you have depression, you suffer from depression, you have a low self-worth, you have thoughts of suicide, and you become drug abusers, and you have this thought in your mind, which they call the model minority myth, is that you have to do more to be successful. Like you always have to stay that one step ahead in order to be looked at as being equal. And living under these pressures leaves some people to feel as if they're targets. And because Asian Americans are usually very quiet, they become easy targets. So when she said that, I was sitting there and I'm like, okay, you did this study because within the last year or so, you've saw an increase in attacks on Asian Americans, which I said is bad because I do not condone violence. But that study had to be done because Asian Americans are now feeling the wrath of racism. And what about everybody else that has been feeling racism? And yes, I'm sorry if I sound like, you know, people are like, oh, why is she talking about? Because The whole protest last year during the pandemic had to do with George Floyd dying, which was a racist act. So from that racist act, you didn't conduct your study. It took someone of Asian descent to get attacked for you to conduct a study. I I find this very, um, it makes me feel excluded and rejected. And if I didn't know myself better and know that I was a child of God, I could possibly suffer from low self-worth. I mean, when is it ever going to be that what's happening to someone that's black matters and not after it happens to someone else? And I'm not saying that they didn't recognize Well, yeah, I am saying that. They didn't recognize that all of the drug abuse that's going on in the African-American community, all of the depression, all of the chronic illnesses from the stress, the strokes, the heart attacks, the high blood pressure, the diabetes, where did you think it was coming from? Where did you actually think it was coming from. But you know what? I'm actually glad that she came out there and she stated this. I'm glad that she came out and she said that this is all the, all the things that come from victims who have been 
people who have been victims of racism for an extended period of time. So now there's nothing to debate. There's nothing to debate and everyone should know. So when you see something happening in the news, it should not be a thing of, oh, you know, look at what they're doing. No, it should be like, oh my gosh, they're acting out from being victims of racism for an extended period of time. So now, how are we supposed to reverse this? You know what she says we can do to reverse this? She says that when you have pride in your roots, knowing your history, knowing the great things that your people have done, it gives you a sense of self. It makes you feel safe. It makes you think that there are better days ahead. You have a connection to different various parts of society. And then when I heard that, I was like, hmm. But all they've done is take out anything that has to do with black history from the school system. And if they do tell a story of black history, it's never the true story. So I'm still, I'm at a loss here. I'm still at a loss here. But I fast forward through all that to say, the only thing that's going to help us is what Paul said. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That would be Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Only God can help us through these times, right? The same man that saved, the same man that went to the cross, Jesus who went to the cross to shed his blood for the remission of everyone's sins, he's the only one that could help any of us through any of this, right? And that's who we need to be turning to for some type of understanding. Because let me just break it down to you. God created the heavens and earth out of chaos. When they said he created the heaven and earth, he created it and the, it was void. They said it was void until he spoke his word and made it something. Which void could be chaos. Void could be anything. Void is just nothing. It's just a whole bunch of nothing. Right now, we're living in a whole bunch of chaos, a whole bunch of chaos, a whole bunch of nothing. Everything is just happening all over the place. And the only thing that's going to bring some order to all of this that's happening right now is the word of God being spoken. But don't think that God is going to come down here with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then again, speak a word. No, he has his people here on earth. We, his people, are here. We are the ones that have to speak the word to make it come to pass. So when are we, my question is, when are we going to come together to speak that word collectively to make it come to pass, to calm the chaos that's going on and set everything in motion and in order? That's my question. And with that, that's the end of op-ed. As you know, this is the last Sunday of the month, and we are going to continue with our word 
disingenuous. And our promise for this week is going to be John 14, 14. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And with that, I say, everyone, stay safe, stay protected. COVID is still out there. Wear your mask, wash your hands, social distance. And until we meet again next week, God willing, peace.